Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another great interview all about talent development. Today, I'm sharing another interview with you in the series of interviews I've been sharing from the Talent Development Virtual Summit that I hosted back in September. And today's interview is with Dr. Lorraine Stomsky, who is the Senior Vice President and Head of Enterprise Leadership and Learning at Walmart, which I believe is the world's largest employer. As Lorraine tells me in this interview, Walmart has over 1 million frontline employees and is the largest talent marketplace in the world. And we talk about how Walmart pivoted under COVID and how they approach talent development now. Walmart hired over 400,000 people in the first three months of COVID. So while many organizations out there were furloughing people and laying people off and struggling to figure out what to do, Walmart was pivoting like crazy and hiring as many people as possible, which means a lot of training and upskilling and all of those things that are going on. So in this interview, we talk about how Walmart pivoted. We talk about Lorraine's and her team's approach to talent development, how they assess the needs of the organization and decide where they want to invest in talent development and many other things around that. You're going to get a lot of value out of this interview. And of course, this is just one of many of the uh, over 30 sessions that we had on the Talent Development Virtual Summit back in September. The recordings are all available in the member vault of the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run. Uh, You can get more information on that by going to tdtt.us. All the information is there. We have all the recordings from the Talent Development Virtual Summit, as well as all the other calls that we've hosted inside the Talent Development Think Tank. And we have live calls on Zoom every Wednesday. We bring in guest speakers like Lorraine, who will be coming on soon, and others. Uh, And we help each other solve real challenges. We ask questions and have open discussions about all topics around talent development. So if you like being involved in a community, you like connecting with others on talent development, come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank. The website, again, is tdtt.us. And now, without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Lorraine Stomsky. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced many people to work remotely and created challenges for everyone in talent development. 
But imagine running a retail organization with 1.5 million employees. There are so many lessons that can be learned from how Walmart responded, as well as how they've pivoted to uh, continue to engage and develop their people. And we're gonna talk all about that today. Hi, my name is Andy Storch, your Summit host, and I'm excited to introduce you to our next legendary Summit speaker. Dr. Lorraine Stomsky is the Senior Vice President and Head of Enterprise Leadership and Learning at Walmart. Dr. Stomsky has more than 25 years of experience in leadership, strategy, and development, and a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology. She is one of the authors of the book, Strategy-Driven Talent Management, a Leadership Imperative, Advancing Executive Coaching, and Course for Successful Leadership Coaching, as well as Advancing HR Project Management. Lorraine, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Andy. I'm really excited to have you on and dig into this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, I know the culture at Walmart is unique. Uh, that also pre creates plenty of challenges uh, and things that we can learn from. And I want to dive into topics like assessing needs and, and, uh, and getting executive support as well. But let's start with Walmart. What has been Walmart's general approach to talent management, talent development, even looking back before these virtual times? Before COVID, yeah. So I, I will do one correction. We have uh, 2.2 million employees, so don't figure oh our population outside of the U.S., which will be very interesting to talk about when we when we get to COVID. Um, our approach to talent management. Look, I think the really important guiding principle for us around talent management is that we are the largest, you know, talent marketplace in the world, right? close to it, if not the talent, the largest talent marketplace. So having that access to talent is remarkable. Um, having the challenge of pulling that talent from the field, from the different global markets, through the pipeline is something that we really, really believe in. It is our strength, but it's also, you know, a big opportunity for us because of just our tremendous scale, need I say more. So for us, it's about leaning into our internal talent, really identifying the ways in which we can upskill the organization so that we are prepared for the future. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think about that. The largest talent marketplace in the world, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, two, over 2.5 million employees, people spread all around the world. Uh, how do you think about getting to reaching all of those people with such a large scale? Well, it's not easy. Um, and it really takes, um, I mean, look, our front line, our front line population is, you know, in the US, it's, you know, a million, a million two, million and a half. And for us, it's, you know, through our leaders in the organization, that's, you know, that's where they have the access, it's through all of the stores and the, the, the store managers, um, our regional managers. We have a very interesting culture in that, and this goes back to what we refer to lovingly as Mr. Sam, of course, Sam Walton, who founded um, Walmart. There is a culture of, you know, getting out there walking into stores, walking through the stores, talking to associates, getting their perspectives, their ideas, 
Um, and we actually have, you know, a, a fleet of airplanes in which every single day, every weekend, you will see leaders get on planes and go out there to the stores just to connect with our associates and see, you know, not just how the stores are doing, but, um, you know, what cool new ideas are, are, are out there that we need to then bring back to, um, to the organization. So a lot of it is through old fashioned, just like building relationships, meet and greets. And as you can imagine, that's obviously been more challenged with COVID, but um, you know, our frontline workers who are the heart of our business and are out there servicing America, you know, candidly and in the markets, um, our leaders have not stopped, you know, that, that sort of, you know, that tradition of getting out there and making sure that they're okay and that, you know, we're taking care of them. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how did Walmart pivot with regards to talent engagement, talent development during this pandemic? Are leaders still out there walking the floors and how have you changed, if anything, the approach to engaging and developing people? Yeah, so a couple of things. So one, we have um, a really great physical asset called the academies, and we've got about 225 academies, and they are physical assets that are usually attached to the store, and that's where all of our education happens for the field. So let's just, you know, talk about the field because, again, that's the largest. And we, in those academies, really train all of our hourly associates, all of our, you know, managers of the stores, etc. And so, as you can imagine, with COVID, we, we're still using those physical assets, of course, but we have pivoted to, you know, online training, probably similar to what others others have done. Um, certainly for our, you know, our, our population in home office, we have gone completely digital. It has been, interestingly enough, as I just talked about how relationship-based our company is, and that's how most decisions get made, um, you know, we pivoted pretty, pretty darn smoothly uh, during COVID to working from home. We just did a sentiment uh, survey a few weeks ago. And it's like overwhelmingly for those of us who are fortunate, candidly, to be able to work from home, um, people have really, you know, done it, uh, done a, a quite a good job and have adjusted really well. I think there's just been some surprising unintended benefits of that for many. We you know, we've been making decisions more quickly. We've been building relationships with people that we probably would not necessarily have done before. You know, it seems almost contrary, um, but uh, we've we've had to be super innovative. I mean, we've pivoted on our hiring process. So one of the things that emerged from COVID from, a, from um, an innovation perspective is, you know, when this hit in March, we knew that we were going to have to do some pretty, you know, quick hiring processes, um, and it needed to happen, you know, within weeks. And typically, when you're hiring from the stores, it's like a three-week process. It takes end-to-end -end three weeks from the time they apply. They apply, you know, mobile. Um, they go through the interview process. They go through assessment. But it takes three weeks. So you can imagine when this pandemic hit and you had a lot of industries really impacted, tourism, hospitality, um, travel, et cetera. Um, we actually really leaned into that and created um, this, 
um, initiative called People and Connect, where we actually proactively reached out to some of those you know, uh, industries and said, look, I know that you're, you know, we know that you're furloughing a lot of talent. We've got a lot of openings that we need to fill and we'd love to, you know, help, help, you know, manage that process with you. And so we hired, we were looking for 150,000 people. We were able to, to do that really well. And by July, I think we, we hired over 400,000 people. I mean, just insane. But that three-week process, um, we put people together, literally in the virtual Zoom room, and said, "How do we, how do we shrink this timeline from three weeks to 24 hours?" And we were able to, we were able to do that really quickly. You know, bringing technology together, um, our operators and our um, assessment folks. So it's been super successful and surprising. It's been good learning for us. Oh, that's fantastic and so impressive to go out and hire 400,000 people. Everybody else is, a lot of other companies are laying people off. And to be in an organization where, you know, in my experience, there are a lot of tech companies that are already set up with, with flexible workplaces and a lot of people working from home. I'm gonna assume uh, Walmart didn't necessarily have that policy. Most people were in the office, right? They were, and you know, again, I don't wanna, overemphasize this issue around relationships, but it is something that I found. I've been at Walmart for three and a half years and I was in consulting before that. So as you said, I mean, I'm 25 years working with Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things that you know as a consultant for any of you who've, who've been consultants, every single client that you have will say to you what? They'll say, our culture is really different. That's right. right? We are very relationship-based, you know, culture. And I've always, you know, I've always respected it, but I've also said there's way more commonality than differences until I got to Walmart. And it's the refrain that you'll hear over and over again. Mm -hmm. I mean, this company from its roots, from, like I said, Sam Walton, it is so relationship-based that it, and you can imagine with the scale of, you know, 2.2 million people, 2.3 million people, um, it can be incredibly um, overwhelming for many that come in from the outside. And candidly, for all of us that have been here for, for a while, although I'm a newbie, of course, um, it's, you have to spend a really significant amount of time just you know, connecting with people, spending time with them, because that, that is what's going to actually help you drive all of, all of your initiatives, including all those, those talent initiatives that we're talking about. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's so important anywhere. And it sounds like it's exacerbated really, really important at Walmart. You made a comment that uh, it's actually gotten easier to connect, more relationships have been formed, there's been benefits of working remotely, yeah. virtually. I wonder if you could share more about that. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, this is an observation in that, look, we are Bentonville-centric, right? So we are very home office, you know, home office is the mothership. And when you are very home office-centric or Bentonville-centric, you know, you go into the office, you are like probably many others that, that go to offices, you know, it's the you know, conversations that happen in the hallway. It's the conversations, the informal connections that you're making. And it's just very organic, right? When we 
<laughs> when we went to this work from home for, again, I keep saying our, the fortunate people that are able to do the work from home, um, it sort of equalized the, the playing field, if that makes sense. So, you know, for folks that were located on the West Coast or the East Coast, it was all of a sudden, I mean, I hired somebody, Andy, and his day one was the first day that we went work from home. And he was sitting in Jersey. We had, we had a travel plan ready for him. He runs our officer selection, Rafi Prager. And um, we had this travel plan, everything. Cause I was like, listen, relationships are everything. You gotta be here. You've gotta build those relationships in the first six months. And his, his um, reaction to this and insight was he, he, feel, he feels that it was almost easier to do it this way because it did equalize everyone. It was, you know, we can get on a Zoom. Everybody has an equal voice. We were much more focused in what we were trying to accomplish. So that, that component of it has really, really been helpful. And I've heard that commentary over and over again with a lot of folks. Oh, absolutely. I can see that. Everybody's more accessible. You just get on Zoom or make a phone call. You don't have to be there. Nobody's flying yeah. anywhere. The, the, other, the other interesting thing that we've done, I've just, um, I've just taken on a new team and sort of expanded my remit. And I've, I've, you know, I have a lot more people now. And just using technology like Zoom and doing, I do like twice a week Zoom office hours, for example. And I just open it up. I'm like, anybody can come. I'm here for an hour. I'll let people in one at a time. And I spend 10 or 15 minutes with each person. And I'm just getting to know people that I guarantee you, if I was at the office, I'd be doing deep dives, you know, with this group. And then I'd be very, and this is just with the technology has enabled, I think, even some um, of those informal connections that, would not have happened easily. Before. Yeah, I can see that. That's really cool. Uh, so I want to shift and talk about talent programs. And I'm sure there are a lot of different things going on. You mentioned the Walmart Academy. Uh, when you're thinking about either um, adjusting, adopting, creating new programs, how do you go about assessing the needs to know that you're going in the right direction? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to give you the cliche answer, which is you got to go to the business. Mm. So we have uh, three business segments and then we have the corporate functions. So we've got Sam's Club, which is our $60 billion, you know, membership business, um, Walmart US, um, and then we've got our international business, which is, you know, our various different um, formats across 27 countries. So for me, you know, and for, for my team who's looking to do real needs assessment, it's spending time in the business, candidly. Um, it, we do the same kind of traveling. Um, you know, when, you know, pre-COVID, we'd get out there and talk to the business leaders, um, you know, find out where the pain points are. Um, so kind of a needs analysis, but much more high touch. A lot of our, um, a lot of the work that we do in concert with our chief people officers, they have, you know, kind of stand up weeklies that we will, you know, participate in. We have moved now to a more of a partnership operating model so that we have, um, for example, learning partners that are attached to the chief people officer in the business. And that way they're really in service to what, um, to that, to that business. So I think that model is going to be really, really, um, it's going to help us accelerate. Um, 
we also have done some pretty interesting work just, you know, with with LBU. I mean, I can talk about that, the Live Better You initiative, which is our educational benefit and standing that up. But again, for the most part, it's going to the business. Having those conversations. And you mentioned uh, having learning partners attached to the chief people officer. Is that essentially like the CHRO for each business yeah. unit? Exactly. Exactly. So we're moving to an operating model where we will have a learning partner that has dual reporting relationships. So it'll be to me, um, but also to that chief people officer in the business so that we keep that connectivity. Because I would say where we've been challenged in the past is just, you know, um, just the same thing like many other organizations, you tend to get really silo focused and you don't really get to leverage the power of learning um, for the enterprise. So this is going to be a great move for us to, to help um, really facilitate that. Yeah, that's great. So uh, it starts with being out there in the business, talking to people in the business, finding out what the needs are, uh, what the pain points are, the challenges. I think that's critical, right? And even though it's like you said, cliche, we need to hear it again and again. How do you go about, once you find out those needs from the business, how do you go about you know, testing that assumption before you start to invest millions of dollars into, you know, new programs or whatever it may be, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's our first, obviously our first step, but we also, and you know, we also, as you probably know, sit on a lot of data, uh, tons and tons of data. I'm a data geek and I, you know, am constantly looking at what's happening in our pipeline we will look at things around, you know, where are, you know, the skill gaps happening? How can we close those gaps? Does it look different across the, bus the different business segments? And that's really how we get in front of it. But I mean, look, we're, we're sitting on millions of data points, which is, helps us to inform the conversations that we're having with the business. It helps us do hypothesis testing. Um, but, you know, for us, we know that the biggest problem that we need to solve for is, you know, pipeline development and career development. That's what our associates are, are asking us for and, and want. And to scale that, you've got to just kind of take it, you know, one level at a time, one, one segment at a time, and really figure out what are those intersection points so that we are putting our resources and focus in the right, in the right place. Got it. All right. So starts with talking to the business um, and then verifying as much as you can using data. Of course, the next question I was planning on asking you was you now have a, a hypothesis, a plan for what you want to do, maybe a new program, something you want to put in place that might cost thousands or millions of dollars. How do you go about getting executive support? And I'm already hearing myself asking this question and thinking if you start with the business and you bring data, it's going to be a lot easier than if you just come with some type of gut feeling. But uh, I'm curious. That is your that is, it sort of goes back to talent management 101. I, I mean, honestly, I, you know, my experience has been, you know, that it, it is, it is a very fatal, I would say it's a fatal flaw. This may be a little controversial and I, and I mean all respect to my fellow HR folks, but um, I spent a lot of time just really focused on the HR function and, and talking to our HR partners and, and getting intel that way. And that was really super helpful. 
Um, but the, the real turn, the real shift happened when I started talking to business leaders um, and, and being able to connect that. So if you're doing that, you know, there's all kinds of formal mechanisms and governance models in place at Walmart where you, you know, if you have any investment that you're looking to make, you've got to go in front of the, you know, CEO of that business. You've got to be able to really have your ducks in, in line about, you know, why this is uh, going to be so critical and why is this going to help candidly our customers. So if you can't prove that customer business case, you're, you're dead in the water. You have to be so you know, always put the customer at the center, then our, our frontline associates. Um, so if it's in service that way and you can articulate that, you're in a, you're in a great place. And I will, I will share a really quick story with you about that sort of turn uh, to the business leader. I, as I said, I'm a data geek and I come from a, a strong assessment background. And one of the things that I noticed is you know, we in certain pockets just didn't really leverage assessment well. And so what happens when you don't leverage assessment well is, you know, you just risk the lack of objectivity when you're making selection decisions or promotion decisions, all the good things that, that we know. And when I came into Walmart and I, I sort of saw that as a gap, you know, you immediately think, well, this is an easy problem to solve, right? I, I'm coming from consulting. It's like, a, here's, here's the solution. It's on a, a beautiful silver platter for you. And of course, they're going to love this. And they were just essentially like, I'll use my New York phrase, girl, bye. Like, you, you know, we don't, what, you know, what are you talking about? And so the unlock for me was when I started really getting curious and asking the business leaders around their selection decisions and would they hire this person again. And I had a very interesting conversation with the now CEO of Walmart US business. His name's John Ferner, and he is a remarkable leader. He's, I mean, wickedly brilliant, um, very innovative. Um, did digital did the digital transformation at Sam's Club is now in this role um, in the US but I was when I you know when I met him he was the CEO of Sam's Club and I was talking to him about data and he was like hmm, that's that seems interesting why don't you uh, why don't you try some of that here and I was like hmm does he really mean that you know, like does, do, do you really mean yeah. that so having and he did and we, that's where we started our journey around assessment. It takes one leader to really be like, to understand the business case, to understand, you know, um, the importance of it and to give you a shot. And the, the rest is, you know, the rest is kind of uh, will follow. So that was yeah. my unlock for, for data. No, that's really neat. And uh, I was going to ask you about making a business case. And it sounds like a lot of it comes down to, understanding the business strategy, what they need, having the right data in place, and then proving how it's going to benefit the customer, which is the ultimate measurement. Is it, is it good for the customer or not? If it's not, then it doesn't matter. Exactly. And we are extraordinarily customer-centric in the organization and associate-centric, as I keep saying. So it's really almost the opposite. It's like starting with the customer and the associate in mind where are the pain points and how can learning or assessment or development really solve for? Um, and then, you know, we make our case. Yeah. 
I know you've been in this space for you know many years, both on the consulting provider side and in-house. What are some of the biggest mistakes you people you see people make when they're you know maybe trying to get approval uh, or create new programs? Well, not doing anything what I just what I just talked about. That's right. number one. I think there's maybe there's a couple things. Number one um, is just really leveraging the power of the data and insight. So I mean, um, you know, not just the reporting data, not just, you know, but I'm talking about truly, and this is the problem, right, with data analytics in general, is just being able to take a look at that data and generate that insights from it, those insights is, is super, is super critical. I think that's number one. Um, and I think the other mistake is, you know, just, I hate to say it, but again, it comes down to 101. It's just not testing your hypotheses enough. It's not getting out in front of the right people um, and iterating around your, you know, your, your, your solution set. And then maybe the most important thing that I haven't even talked about, which is we are very design thinking centric. We are, um, we are very much, uh, we very much practice agile, including within HR. And if you are unclear on the problem that you're trying to solve, you're dead in the water, like from the get go. And I see that a lot candidly. It's like the jump to the execution, the solution side without really, again, using the data, stepping back and saying, you know, the problem we're trying to solve for is, you know, the pipeline or, you know, what have you. Yeah. And, and really getting to the root of that problem, right? As I've been running my podcast for the last three years, I often ask guests about their biggest career mistake. And the most common one I hear is I got requests from the business to do something and I just went and did it without really digging in to find out what the root problem is. I've heard that many, many times. A lot of people have learned that lesson uh, the hard way. And it's a, it's a really important one, like you said. Yeah, it is. And, and I'll tell you another great piece of advice I got for, from Walmart. I met somebody very early on as well. And she said to me, cause I said to her, I was kind of frustrated because there's so many low hanging fruit that you can go and attack. And I'm sure many people have had this experience and you just, you feel like in your mind, you know, you can see the, the solution. Um, and she said, keep a notebook, write all of this stuff down because in Walmart, you know, it may not happen in six months. They may not listen to you. You may, you know, um, you, you know, these things may happen in two years time, right? Or three years time, but they will happen, but they will happen in, you know, due time. Was her yeah, it's on a long horizon. So don't get impatient. Yeah. Um, last question, thinking about our audience, uh, we're talking to your fellow talent development professionals, and this is all about engaging and developing our people in a virtual world. Uh, any other advice or best practices you would share? Mm -hmm. um, the last thing that I will say, and this is another guiding principle that we have in our learning function, which is um, we are really as a, you know, as a, as a learning team, shifting away from content and more around curation. 
Um, so that's number one. Number two, we are really leaning into learning methodologies that engage the peer learning network. And we've started something called Spark to Spark, which is about bringing a subject matter expert, bringing a community of learners together and doing that in much more manageable sort of bite size. So, you know, another example of that is we brought a cross enterprise, a cross Walmart team together to address some of the civil unrest issues. And, you know, one of the core principles there is you've got to start by educating yourself. And we were able to pull together a cross-functional team, create this, you know, race and inclusion curriculum that we were able to very quickly launch. And it's been super successful, like, I don't know, 25,000, you know, people within like less than a week have completed you know, these learning pathways in the field uh, is the, the biggest consumer. So our, the lesson there is, you know, it, it, community-based learning, but also curation, bite-sized chunks. We don't need to keep recreating the wheel. It sounds simplistic, but the, the way that people learn are from each other. It's less about the knowledge transfer. It's about the knowledge that sits within such a powerful organization like Walmart. Yeah, there's tons of knowledge there. It's how do you leverage, harness it, leverage it, and, and get it out to people in ways that they can consume it uh, during mm -hmm. these times. Uh, well, this has been uh, just wonderful, Lorraine. If I look back at my notes, we covered a lot of ground in this interview. We talked about Walmart's approach to talent management um, and being the largest talent marketplace out there in the world, the frontline population being well over a million people that you've got to be thinking about, how Walmart scales development via the leaders and the culture, uh, the Walmart culture and the importance of getting out there, walking the floor, building those relationships, how Walmart pivoted during the pandemic. You mentioned the Walmart Academy, um, the unintended benefits of working virtually, working from home and how people can build more relationships, uh, how Walmart pivoted on hiring and created a new initiative to hire people affected by uh, in affected industries and hiring over 400,000 people in the first three months of the COVID pandemic. Amazing. Um, we talked about how Walmart culture is unique how uh, the virtual world made it easier to build relationships uh, using Zoom office hours to connect with people and build relationships in your organization, which I love. Uh, assessing needs to know what the business needs, the importance of spending time in the business, um, the challenges of getting into silos, um, how Walmart sits on and uses a ton of data and how data plays into all the decisions you make, being a data geek yourself, right? Um, how to go get executive support for a program using you know, what's going on with the business, the data, making that business case. Uh, when a, you talked about when assessment is not done well, uh, you risk objectivity and the importance of really thinking about the assessment and the data. Um, we mentioned some mistakes that people make when creating new programs, the importance of leveraging data and insights, the importance of being clear on the problem that needs to be solved. And finally, the importance of leveraging the information, the knowledge in your organization and using peer learning as well. Um, Lorraine, anything else you would add to that or um, any other information you want to share before we go? It sounds way more impressive coming from your mouth, Andy. <laughs> like, right. did we talk about all that? Yeah, we did. We did. A lot of great stuff. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you spending time and sharing your wisdom with us. For all of you uh, who have been watching and listening, thank you so much for tuning in and being here. I hope you took a lot of notes. Remember, write down what are those one or two key takeaways those things that you think, oh my gosh, I want to go take action on that. Set a goal, make a plan, go take some action. This is all about changing behavior so we can all get better. And remember in these virtual and volatile times, talent development is at a pivotal 
point in history, you absolutely have the opportunity to become the hero in your organization's journey. We want all of you to step up and be that hero. So make sure you take action on this. Again, my name is Andy Storch. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you'll consider upgrading to our um, All Access Pass if you haven't done so already. And I will see you on the next session. Cheers. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.